All right. Here we go on a Sunday morning. Conference championship Sunday morning. And if you don't know what that means, you've either been drinking too much or you haven't stopped drinking yet and are probably listening to the wrong show, right? I mean, it's championship Sunday. Um, just after 8 o'clock, I'm Brian Feldman, and this is Out of Line. If you are listening first time, we are here live, same time, every week on Fox Sports Radio, 98.9 FM at 1340 AM, flagship of the Vegas Golden Knights. We are also doing the show from Kickers Gaming and Sports Bar just down the road from Cashman Center. The address is 931 North Las Vegas Boulevard. Kickers will be our home for a while because due to COVID-19 protocol, all live shows have been kicked out of the Fox Sports Residential Bank Corp studio until further notice. So uh, that's where we're at right now. But um, we'll be doing this down here. So if you come on down, we'll hook you up with some free donuts, some free orange juice, and Kickers is offering mimosa and Bloody Mary specials during the show. Uh, You can also stick around after the show and catch the games on 17 TVs and the game sound is always on live here. Um, here with me is co-host Caleb Herring, the last UNLV quarterback to lead the Rebels to a bowl game. There we go. I can't hear him. Why not? It's okay? All right. As long as, I, as, long as it's okay, I'll be happy. I'll, I'll lift up my earpiece so I can hear you a little bit. Also here uh, is a guy that is the only intern with his theme music. Maybe the only one in the world, right? get our we got to get the whiz to check that honestly like because that's part of his intern job is there any other intern with a theme song no there's not it's verified let's hear it then give it to us that is spencer the whiz astrovsky and spencer is also our social media director and now has his own sports talk show, which is called Delivering Sports. It's Friday nights at 7 on KSHP, which is 1400 a.m. on your radio dial. Check it out. It's a good show. Also part of the show and social distancing back in the Fox Sports Residential Bank Corp studio. Producer and future WWE star Dino Demond. That's Dino Demond Cotton. The show is also streaming on the LV Sports Network, and you can all watch the show on Facebook Live. Yeah, the page is called Outline. That's O U T T A L I N E. You can also follow the show on Instagram and Twitter, um, and that is at Outline Fox LV. And since we are live, your calls and questions are welcome. The Fox Sports Residential Bank Corp Studio line is 702-876-1340. Hi, this is Bubby, and it's time for What's on Tap. Yeah, What's on Tap brought to you by title sponsor, Residential Bank Corp. Whether purchasing a new home or refinancing the home you already own, Residential Bank Corp is the company to turn to for all your home financing needs. Residential Bank Corp, funding America one neighborhood at a time. On tap, the Vegas Golden Knights off to a sizzling start in spite of platooning between the pipes. We'll talk about that after after starting one and seven. The Rebels have won four in a row. Hmm. Conor McGregor was knocked out for the first time ever, and it's NFL Conference Championship Sunday, so what the hell else would we be talking about today than that? Okay, so stick around. Listen again if you are in Las Vegas and mobile. Come on down, grab some free donuts, and OJ, join the show here at Kickers Gaming and Sports Bar, 9031 North Las Vegas Boulevard, just down the road from Cashman 
Center and the Neon Boneyard is just down the road. All the famous old uh, Las Vegas Neon signs. Listen, that's what's on tap. If you are looking to buy a home or to refinance the home you currently own, choose a company you can trust. Residential Bank Corp. Funding America, one neighborhood at a time. And Caleb, um, just getting started, man. I'm I'm back. You guys did a good job last week. I I was awake. I got done surfing, and I'm listening to you guys do the show. Yeah. So we're glad that you're back. Um, we were actually kind of excited about the break from you no not gonna lie to you i mean the show was a lot younger last week but um no i'm glad you had a great time man i'm glad you didn't get eaten by a shark we had a, a bet going out that you get at least nibbled on by one but um yeah you made it so um i'm i'm disgusted at the jersey that you're wearing right now but i know why you're wearing it i'm sure we'll talk about that a little bit later but yeah it's it's uh yeah so hey wear it while it lasts man you have to frame it now the the worst best quarterback in nfl history right like i mean but, yeah, yeah, glad to have you back. That he was the best quarterback that the Lions have had, and yet uh, he never won a playoff game, and he never even won a conference championship in over 11 seasons with the Detroit Lions. But I, I like Matthew Stafford. I'm sad to see him go. Again, I'm wearing the jersey because any day now this won't be applicable anymore because Matthew's gone. He's made it clear it's a friendly departure. He says he wants to win. And it's funny, Caleb, he talks – about winning and he's willing to leave the Detroit Lions and maybe go to a team like Washington that actually had a worse record than the Detroit well, but now they had a better record than the Detroit Lions but not by much and um, I don't see that team winning a Super Bowl in what he's got left in the tank you think he'd look to another team that would might have a better shot yeah it's one of those things where I mean you're just you're just kind of you're kind of happy that it's ending because I think it's been a train wreck for a long time and it's not Matthew Stafford's fault so in a way, you kind of you kind of are excited that the Lions are finally moving on from this chapter. Now, what they move on to is probably you know going to be the biggest part of this, but I don't think it's going to be considered a Woj bomb or anything like that when Matthew Stafford gets traded. Like you said, it's a cordial agreement that they're going to part ways. So uh, we'll see who's going to take the bait, who's going to who's going to go after him, and what they're going to be willing to give up. I mean, at this point, in Matthew Stafford's career, who's going to give up that much? Uh, for an aging quarterback who hasn't really proven to be a winner. So we'll see. But I'm excited about it, I guess. Maybe I do think that the that the Washington football team gets better and they're uh, a legitimate, not you know just a NFC East playoff team, but a legitimate playoff team if they add Matthew Stafford. Their quarterback situation was terrible this year. I mean, Alex Smith playing with one leg was their best option. So I, to say that their roster wouldn't be upgraded immensely by Matthew Stafford, would it would be an understatement. So... We'll see. I mean, that's that's part of the game, and that's that's part of how it goes. The Colts also showed some interest, I guess, in with Philip Rivers retiring. I think that would be a good fit as well, tender in the AFC for sure, with that roster just adding a quarterback like Stafford. But I'm sure we'll be talking about it in the coming weeks. I'm I'm waiting for that Woj bomb to drop any moment now. I'd like to see the Colts uh, pick up Matthew Stafford and him take him to a Super Bowl because that would for sure put Phillip Rivers out of the Hall of Fame. He goes there, can't win with them. And, Matt, well, he got him to the playoffs. I mean, give him that credit. And they won when they had to at the end of the season. But um, it's sad to see Matthew Stafford go. I'd love to see him go somewhere and have and I still look back and I say one of the greatest things that happened to the Detroit Lions in my lifetime was Sam Bradford deciding to stay at Oklahoma after he won the Heisman. He would have been the number one pick in the draft. He didn't want to go to Detroit. He stays in school. He gets hurt his first game his senior year, and instead the Lions are forced to draft Matthew Stafford. The rest is history, and even though Matthew Stafford didn't have a, any playoff wins in his career, he had a hell of a lot better career than, than – uh, 
Sam Bradford. So um, that's, you know, I'm still happy they got him, but it is sad to see the guy go. And, um, you know, speaking of going, our guest today was supposed to be Jalen Graves, UNLV uh, defensive lineman. Uh, at the beginning of the season, he was slated to be a starter. It ended up, he kind of fell into a backup role. Didn't see a lot of time. He's a junior, two-time letter winner, Caleb. And he has told me last night, um, we were texting back and forth. He is on a recruiting trip right now. He is transferring and going to spend his final year somewhere else how many other UNLV players do you think might be making this decision um because that was pretty surprising or do you think it's just maybe a decision that he felt he should have been playing more than he did so he's going to go somewhere else to find more playing time I, I think it's it's happened of uh, to a few players in the uh in the rebel locker room this year I think Keenan Oblad also entered the portal Justin Olushan a, a couple of guys who have basically decided to part with the rebels and I, I think it's it's not of things it could be a mix of honesty on the part of the coaching staff and and like you said realizing that these guys aren't going to be a part of the rebel future as far as playing time so the honesty on the part of the coaching staff could play into this the the desire of the player to get more playing time on the field plays a role for sure and i think the normalcy of the transfer portal overall plays a role in this because i think uh over the past few years we've seen more and more players every year into the transfer portal where this is almost uh you know an extended recruiting trip i mean um, guys revisit places that they were were recruited out out of high school and now having some more maturity, understanding the kind of nature and the business of college football are willing to, you know, take their future into their own hands a little bit more than they were in the past. And, and then thinking back to when I played, there was essentially only grad transfers. And now it's pretty much anybody's jumped into the portal. Um, you know, Dylan Downing for the Rebels also jumped into the portal during the season. So, I mean, this is kind of the, the way that things have gone for the Rebels. You're losing players, and you, anytime you're losing players, you you, you want to throw red flags and make sure that there's not an internal problem. But I don't think that's what this is. I think, like you said, there's players that are realizing maybe their future with the Rebels um, is, is dwindling at best, and they're, and they're deciding to take their own uh, futures into their own hands. So that that's probably what you're seeing. I, I, I don't like to see players transfer. But then again, I'm I'm always pro player, and I think you know that about me. I'm I'm pro player in every instance. So the player's right to choose is is always going to be the 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 first priority for me. So anytime a player transfers, I wish them the best. Um, their future endeavors, hopefully, whatever they are chasing comes true. But um, to say that it's it's not some sort of uh, I guess indication of where things are going for UNLV, things are changing. I think that's what you can say about it, whether it's a good change or change for the better or, or a bad change. I think the fact that players are leaving um, and then players are transferring in, I think there's players also that are transferring in. There's a change that's going on with UNLV. Um, whether or not it's a good change, we'll see. And that's, you know, going to be determined when we see the product on the field, but um, guys like Jalen Graves and, and Kane and Opa, wishing them the best wherever they land and wherever they end up, hopefully their football career and, uh, ends with happiness and they have a healthy and, and memorable career wherever they land. So I, I wish to say that the jury is without question still out on Marcus and uh, Marcus Royal and you can't even really benefit the doubt. I don't like the fact he didn't talk to the media. I don't like the fact that he blocked the sportscaster at uh, Lotus Broadcasting on Twitter, which I thought or, or, you know, unfriended. I just thought was ridiculous, immature, and something a, a college or any level football coach should never do because it admits that they're listening. And even though we know they all listen and pay attention and they say that they don't, doing that just proves the opposite, that they definitely listen. It was a bad move. The other thing I'll kill, I've never asked you straight out. 
man to man, why did you not? And I know you had to have considered it, but what was your reason for not transferring out your senior year? You know the confidence level that you had. Now, the football guide shined on you tremendously. You got very lucky that Nick Sherry was lousy, and you ended up getting his job. And no, don't go defending Nick Sherry now. That's not what we're doing here. The thing is, why didn't you transfer? The real reason. It was your girl, wasn't it? I think that that was the most uh I guess I could say the 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 determining factor was I I considered it. I considered not I considered not even playing football anymore. So I Yeah, it was. It was it was, but then I, I like I said that honest moment that because I I honestly said I hadn't played my best and then I started to look at the reasons why and First reason that in my young image or mind were, oh, the coaches don't like me. This is set up, da-da-da-da, all, all the, the excuses that you can come up with. But then the second thing was I haven't put my best effort into it yet. And I think I'd made a decision that I was going to put my best in something first before I decided to quit um, and, and, and bail on it. So I, And I think I take that approach with everything I do. I, I, now, in my youth, I probably didn't, but now I, I understand that I can control more about my destiny than – anybody else can and I, that's what i i took ownership of the situation i worked my butt off and i said i'm gonna give it my best before i decide to call it quits and i did and it worked out for me fortunately now everybody's not gonna have that story every some people may have be maybe giving their best right now <laughs> some people are giving their best right now and their best isn't good enough and the situation does dictate that they should move on i don't know everybody's personal situation but for me that's what it was i knew that i hadn't given my best yet and that could have some to do with it so i gave my best and and i got another chance and i was ready to seize on it so a lot of people aren't giving their best and just want things to get handed out to them and then when they don't they don't like it and they bail out and you got to think a lot of these kids um at any level in college were the best at some point in their career like the best high school player everyone that plays in college and typically was great in high school and you get to college and everybody was great in high school well you're you're not going to play this game for the first time people react differently and i think you know uh, that's that's everybody's personal demeanor mine's was no i'm gonna grind i'm gonna work harder i'm gonna get better and then i'm gonna beat this guy and get my spot back that's that's where i was so that's why i didn't transfer that's, that's the story behind it. and then of course i did meet my wife my now wife uh during that process of taking ownership of my life so she she definitely helped in that but no i just didn't want to give up without giving my best effort yet when you meet someone and they, you, you you play in front of them and stuff uh it does motivate you more as well but you know the one thing is too is you know i saw from a media standpoint a tremendous difference in that team after the central michigan game i could feel the electricity and in a locker room that is a huge change i mean i'm sure it's got to be depleting for the person that gets replaced but how much of a difference the confidence level in that team after that central michigan game as opposed to when you guys went in to the half to the locker room at halftime in that game you know you'd only played a couple seconds before half time and then you get out there and you play the second half but when that game ended did you feel a different energy on that team and know that you guys maybe could go on because I wonder when there's a changing of the guard like that what happens I think with with that team it was different because they all knew that I worked so hard so I think the team was confident in me and on a different level and I'm not to say that they weren't in Nick but I think the the controversy around is Nick the starter should he be starting um started before the season like during fall camp and spring ball there was questions about like who would be the starter and I think the work put in during the offseason with the guys, they saw me get better. So they had com every confidence in me that I could get it done 
when I did take over. So I maybe there was some, you know, confidence that I helped with guys, you know, believing that we can win when, when I was a quarterback. So maybe. Um, but like I said, it was for me, it was just about making sure I presented it so that the team could have the confidence too. I presented confidence in every situation. That's what I wanted to do. Um, and I was I was confident in myself that year. So maybe that, that did rub off a little bit I and mean, it did help the team feel better and have that, you know, that winning energy about them. So I, maybe that was the case, but um, that wasn't my intention. My intention was just not to make a fool of myself, you know, not to waste a second chance. Again, from a spectator standpoint, I've never seen a half of football carry through an entire season where you took that momentum and you somehow you grabbed hold of it, would not let it go. And that's pretty cool because usually you don't see that. You'll see that in a game and maybe the following game, but to carry it through an entire season was a pretty cool thing to see. I just wish it was somebody besides you that did it. But as other than that, um, uh, Go, going on, uh, we got to talk about a team that's been really hot. And matter of fact, off to their well, they were when they went four and off to the best side. Hockey players, as you know, are warriors. They don't give up. They come to play every game. It's time for Nightcap, a cup full of the Vegas Golden Knights. From highlights to interviews to special events, the puck starts here. We talked about it, and I think everyone talked about We had said, you know, Robin Leonard was brought in to be the starting goaltender, Caleb, and Marc-Andre Fleury, we knew, had a really good camp, and he came in very determined. And, um, hey, you know, he's, he's he pleaded his case with his play on the ice, which is what you should do, and it's benefited him. And now they have gone every other game. Leonard, Leonard of course, started game one, but Fleury played game two, and right now – Percentage points why, of course, Fleury's played 100 is two and one. My guess is this afternoon at one o'clock when they play the Arizona Coyotes again, Robin Leonard will be, excuse me, Mark Andre Fleury will be between the pipes if Peter DeBoer keeps going in the same pattern. Caleb, you, again, platooning, a platooning of goaltenders like platooning a quarterback. I mean, I think, you know, a team really needs to rally around one guy. And maybe every now and again, you bring in another guy to create a spark, but not every other game. How long can something like this go on before maybe the walls start to cave in on this? Because I think sooner or later, you got to wrap your arm around one of these guys and have the other guys spell the main guy, but not play equal equal amounts. Yeah, I think there's a fine line between competition and controversy when you're talking about a starting job with either like you said quarterback or goalie or you know these or pitcher even like with like this this clear-cut definition of this guy is the guy um if you have controversy where you know it's it's one guy's out playing the other but he's not getting the minutes or or one guy's clearly the best goalie that you have and he's not in between the pipes enough so then that becomes controversial or like you said or even with management and things like that controversial with who's getting paid more um it becomes controversial at a point. I think right now is not that point for the Golden Knights because I think it's it's still a healthy competition. I mean, uh, whether or not the players' egos are bruised is not the issue with, with the competition. I think it's when it's to find out for the right reasons which guy is the right guy. And you, if you can do it during the season and still win, then it's not a problem. The moment it starts to turn into finger pointing like we lost because xyz was in we lost why can't we have this guy in? why can't then that's when it starts to become a problem but i the way i see it right now i mean there's no goalie that has started every game during an nhl season i think you're gonna need to and i think whether or not you get those those days off early in the season or late in the season or midway through i think it's a part of hockey and i think if you're taking advantage of it keeping both guys rested along the way like not 
to the benefit of the team. The moment it becomes controversial, where let's say Mark Andre Fleury is clearly outplaying Robin Leonard, like he's like the he's he's making a ridiculous or vice versa. But I'm, I think it would be more controversial at this point if if Andre Fleury started to outplay Leonard. So if, if Leonard starts to outplay or Mark Andre Fleury starts to outplay Leonard, and then they still still continue to split minutes and that's for split games then I think it becomes controversy. And that's when you have to make a decision and put your foot in the ground, make a claim, this is our guy, we're going forward. Either way, but you can't continue to do it if it becomes controversial. It has to be a, a, an intentional competition. Uh, the moment it becomes controversy, I think that's when you lose it and the team starts to cave in. Like you said, the wall starts to cave in around the thing. And, and, and especially in an abbreviated season, a 56-game season, you can really play one goaltender most of the season now. It doesn't need as much rest as in the past with less games. Um, I don't know how it's going to play out. I like what I'm seeing right now. And the one thing I didn't know that I would like is these back-to-back games, but it really does create a lot of tension and animosity. And, you know, by the second game you played the night before, some guy ran you the night before, you got the two nights later you're playing the same team all season long. That's going to be a really interesting thing, and I kind of dig that. And also, uh, Arizona's letting fans in. Now, not a lot. It was like almost just under 3,000 fans, and like half of them were Vegas Golden Knights fans. I'm wondering, when do you think they're going to open up the stadiums here and let let at least, I mean, you know, T-Mobile's a pretty big place. You could fit 2,000 fans in there and easily socially distance. According to the, the latest, you know, political polls on, on what's going to happen with lockdowns and, and some of these, but no, that's, I mean, that that was a joke. But um, I, I do think the fan aspect of, of, of play would help the Knights. I don't think there's anything like a sold-out T-Mobile arena. I don't know 2,000 fans will be as, as loud or as energetic i don't think it'll be the same experience so i almost am, am like the you know the raiders where i say i when i let fans in i want it to be the full the whole shebang like let them let them all in or don't let any in so i'm of that i think that the more important thing that is the carryover of the issues from last year like the, the death i think in my opinion of of the night season last year in the playoff run was they couldn't score on power plays or really can produce goals in any situation when they really needed to. But I think that's a more important thing. I, the fans being there would be awesome. I think maybe it would help the energy level, but I think they got to figure out a way to score on power plays because it's one of the themes early, although, you know, they, they're winning and um, still look like, you know, every bit of the favorite to, to do it all again, the power play is still a weak point. And if you're not going to capitalize on power plays, then you're going to have problems late in the games or down the stretch when the, the games get tough and the goals become more valuable. So, they got to figure that out before they start thinking about letting fans in. I do want fans back. I like. I'm one of the few people in Las Vegas that has not been to a Golden Knights game, and for scheduling reasons, all all that, whatever. But I'd love an opportunity to go. So if they let fans, I would like to be in attendance when they score on the power play. That's, I guess, <laughs> the bigger concern for me. The power play efficiency, both and shorthanded efficiency, are huge in hockey, and there's no question. You've got to be able to have a decent scoring percentage on the power play throughout the season to be really good. And uh, fans in, fans out, I like what you're saying. You'd rather see all the fans in than none because when you just let a game. So, you know, I mean, you'd rather, you know, have the whole kit and caboodle. I was going to say that's one that UNLV is probably one of the places around the country that is probably – embracing the, the the no fan aspect of the pandemic. And it's, it's sarcastic as I'm being Caleb. I'm not because UNLV, you know, I, I said it somewhat sarcastically at the beginning of the show, the basketball team has won 
four games in a row. That's a huge accomplishment, especially seeing the way they started against Montana State this year. But come on, St. Catherine, Benedictine of uh, – why, Caleb? Why add these games to the schedule that are 40-plus point blowouts, maybe to give your team confidence, but then you're calling your players ignorant because you're saying they can't figure out that I'm scheduling these games just to give them the win to get them some confidence. I don't like it. Yes, they beat New Mexico twice. That was nice. But New Mexico was as shallow what they were a couple of years ago. I don't know. They are going downhill in a hurry. So I'm not going to ra- you know, relish those two victories. But four wins in a row, it's nice. But, again, do you like them putting these patsies on the schedule? It really doesn't matter to me who they put on the schedule. I think it's important that they get playing time on the court together. I think it almost turns into live scrimmages and just like playing actual games, getting the mechanics of things down, getting your sets, the tempo of how you want to play. Seeing that first, I think, is important for building chemistry as a team. So I think that's important uh, when you talk about UNLV individually. And as a fan, I don't want to watch um, high school games. I don't want to watch the JV teams roll out there. I don't like the, the 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 pity wins. I guess the scheduled wins that these games are turning out to be. I don't like it. So I would grade. You know, before I say that, before I you know go too deep into you know what these past four meaningless scheduled wins mean, I would say I would grade the team more closely based on the Colorado State loss. I think that loss. You know, the first game back after a month off, they didn't have their full roster and they still don't have their full complement of players. But that game against one of the you know top teams in the conference, Colorado State was at the time, and they lost by three points in, in what was a, a tight, tightly contested game. I think that game gives you a – it makes these most recent four wins feel a little bit better because you know you did compete with somebody that was a, actually a, a worthy opponent, right? Like you, the last real opponent that you faced, was a quality one as far as the Mountain West Conference goes. So then, yeah, you can just say we're using the rest of these games, whatever we can get scheduled, first of all, because that plays a part. What teams will agree to play you? Like, that plays a huge part of it. Not too many teams are going to be like, yeah, let's go play UNLV. Because um, for those teams that have tournament aspirations, those wins don't feel as good. But UNLV is going out and finding wins, and that's I'm fine with it this year like because you know my stance on college basketball, the way that this year has gone. College basketball does not have the resources um, or the manpower to, to make a safe season during COVID. And I don't think uh, of all the sports that could have potentially been canceled, I think it would have been, and I hate to agree with Coach K on this, I think it was the most uh, the most realistic to say college basketball shouldn't have happened this year. Um, and on both the women's and men's side, because I, that, I think I've heard women's coaches as well speak out on this, that college basketball is not built for this type of season. I think, like you said, the NBA has resources to to protect their players, all that, to have safe travel. College teams don't. And I think the way that this season is going to be remembered is going to be a scramble, a cluster uh, of just nonsense because you don't have time in between games to quarantine, to test accurately, to contact trace and things like that. Where football, you have a week to, to you know figure things out. Also, basketball is so demanding as far as how many games you play in the season. It's just not realistic to me to, to be able to do it. So I don't I don't care that UNLV has these meaningless wins, these lesser opponents. I just don't want to watch them as fans. If the teams getting better by scrimmaging these these JV teams, then yeah, uh, I think there's benefits to it. But as far as judging if the team's good or not, no. And I don't think this season, regardless of who they're playing, I don't think this season's going to be a measure of how good UNLV basketball can be or is right now. So it is what it is. It's good to see the team winning. I don't know if everybody's going to be on board with playing high school teams, essentially. Yeah, when I, heard ben- I thought it was some type of California cough medicine. And, and then they're playing this team. I mean, I didn't know that. 
Oh, okay, okay wow. Well, gross. And I'm like, this is in, intense. I told Spence throughout the game. I, 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 I call up Spencer, and I think he knew I was calling him about getting credentials. He didn't even answer the phone. I mean, he's like, I'm not going. I don't have a cough. I don't need to go to the game. That was kind of his thought process. But other than that, I'll also say that, uh, you know, basketball, where I agree with you, Caleb, of all four of the major sports in our country, the one that the fan, the, the players where the fans mean the most to has got to be basketball because fans are right on the court. There's no game, there's no sport where they are closer to you. So the impact of fans, and it really takes away home games and smaller schools and universities, it takes away the opportunity for that win because when their fans get into it, it can turn the momentum of a game, and that doesn't exist this year. And that, to me, is the biggest tragedy about basketball. It is just not the same without fans. Sports. I think basketball honestly has the best entertainment value. I think hockey. Now, the more that I watch it, if you're a fan of hockey, I understand that it's it's the, a fast-paced game. It's very similar to basketball, but I think of all the major sports, the speed of basketball, the 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 pace of basketball, the continue, the, yeah, the continue, the 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 scoring because they're scoring a plenty. Um, the intensity of the game, I think, is is by far the most exciting product um, to watch, and that's why I think it's turning into one of the global sport on, on a sports scale, global uh, right there with soccer or football. <laughs> There's nothing on their head. Yeah. And I, that's, that's a part of, that's a part of the, the lore of it. These, these players become like a part of the community. And so the community supports the team even more. Like you don't even know what a lot of these football players Hockey look too. like. I mean, the helmet and baseball with the head on, when they take the head off. Sometimes and, and Bryce Harper baseball, would take his head off and it's a whole different person. And then baseball is baseball is honestly, if you're not a fan of the sport, the most boring thing to watch, like televised wise. It's it's so boring. So but basketball, the fan experience, I, like the best words in, in as a sports fan is game seven of a of a basketball game, of a, a heated contested basketball series game seven is the best thing a fan could ask for you don't even have to be a fan of the teams like game seven of the golden state warriors versus the cavaliers neither one of those teams are my favorite team neither one no, of those it was star players is my favorite player just one of the most tremendous things like Kawhi leonard and and against the 76ers that moment where the ball was bouncing on top of the rim and everybody's just holding their breath and they're erupting you don't get that in in many other sports if any i don't think I, I can't seven. think of a sport I love you get game that in. seven in any sport you know the the and and then the you know the what the, the, that's what makes the NCAA tournament so great is every game is a game seven. And that's what's similar. It's, it's, uh, it's move on or golf clubs. It's one of the two. So pretty cool with that. Um, listen, we were going to take a break. Spencer, are we still taking a break or we don't need to? No, don't need to take a break. All right, we're we're not. We're going to blow off the break and keep going today with this. So hit the fact this, if you will, Spence. Fact this. If you don't like the facts, take your ass back to bed. Fact this. That's a fact. In the last two years, Conor McGregor has retired twice and fought once. And it was a first-round knockout over Cowboy Cerrone in January 2020. Also a fact, prior to last night, he had never been knocked out or even technically knocked out in his 27-fight career. This, as most already know, changed in the second round of last night's fight against Dustin Poirier in the act again on, on Yaz. First round, I 
think he, Poirier, he hit him first, and it looked like he stunned him, and you thought, here goes McGregor again. Of course, he beat him in 2014 in a uh, featherweight match. Um, but um, it's the layoff, right, Caleb? I mean, let's be realistic. I, you know, maybe he lost a little bit of his, you know, he's got a lot of money now. You know how you can you lose a little bit of your fire. But I truly believe it's the layoff and maybe a loss of that fire a bit. I still think pound for pound, if, if he's in his – at his back. Yeah, no, I, I don't doubt that at all. I, I don't Poirier. Come on, think anybody man. should doubt that. I think watching that fight, like watching that fight, it was like uh, it was pretty much I mean, me and Spencer were talking about before the show came on. It was I think McGregor was winning the fight. Like if you're just talking about going to a scoring card and, and deciding uh, how the game would go or how the how the fight would end, you would say that McGregor probably was going to win that if, if things continue. But you, the UFC is is one of those sports where it's like anybody, anything can happen at any point in time, and you have to be laser focused uh, to, to to be able to pull it off for you know extended period of time. He got caught, and Poirier caught him and took advantage of him, and and kept coming at him with waves of, of punches when when he realized he got hurt. And I think McGregor's cockiness sometimes plays uh, against him, and we saw the same thing. I think if you look back to the UFC greats like Anderson Silva. Uh, when you think about like his demeanor in the in the octagon, like the way he fought, I think McGregor kind of took that on, where he was like, like, "Yeah, you hit me, you hurt me, but I'm not gonna ball up and run away from this. I'm gonna stand in and take it." And Poirier just kept take giving it to him. He kept giving it to him up against the fence, and he ended up touching the canvas for the first time. I do think he lost a step, and I do credit Poirier for fighting a good fight because I mean, outside of getting knocked out, McGregor left. In, on a crutch like he he couldn't walk because of those leg kicks that he was taking from Poirier so good strategy oh, that, the leg, he said were brutal. yeah yeah so he was getting he was getting pummeled during throughout the fight as well so it was a good fight it was entertaining I, I do hate the fact that it only went two rounds like that's that's you you pay all the money for the pay-per-view and then you get two minutes worth of a, the fight that you wanted to see the best part about that was Khabib talking trash after the fact I think Khabib McGregor would sell regardless. I think that would be great for Khabib to come out of retirement against the now out of retirement Conor McGregor. That would be ridiculously good to watch. And I think those two going at it would be great. So if if I know Dana White and the money-making machine, he's going to do everything he can to make that happen. And then not pay either one of what they deserve. Yeah, yeah. And they're going to get like a fraction of the the purse. And so, I mean, it it is what it is, but that would be entertaining to watch. I I think I'd actually pay to see that instead of like watching it on YouTube. Two minutes after, well, is he said that last night. You know, and and I'm I, I I'm not going to say that he's lost a step or not. I'm not a hundred percent sure, but I know um inactivity is a killer in the fight game. Three hundred and seventy-one games in between days in between fights. In the UFC that's way too much, man. But I will tell you this real quickly: the leg kick that you talked about. That ended the fight. That leg kick, you could see his eyes went, whoa. You know, if you, when you get hit, like I just remember once in football, just my, my hands getting caught in between my two hel- two, my helmet and another helmet, and I saw stars. It hurt so much, you know, and you think a little thing like that isn't much, but I was terrified the rest of the game. I didn't want my hand touched again, and he didn't want his leg kicked again after that. He like, whoa, that one really was the end, and then he threw that right punch, and it was over with. Definitely the the and the takedown. I think him getting that takedown, Poirier getting that takedown, which was like not even a good takedown. It was kind of sloppy, but uh, it, it made him aware of things that he probably never really thought about. And and like you said, it's not just that he took 371 days off. It's the fact that 
that's not his style. Like McGregor was one of the busiest fighters when he was at his prime, when he was at the top of his game, he was fighting like almost every other month. It seemed like, so like for him to take that longer time off and the way he fights and the rhythm and the cadence of his style, I think he missed the time off more importantly than anything. And I think, uh, I'm mentioning Khabib again because I'm going to start promoting this if Dana White's not going to. I think Khabib pointing out the fact that he changed his whole team like in the meantime while he was off. So this is the first time working with his new team and his, you know, his upgraded style. Uh, I think Khabib called him little boys or something like that, which was like a shot. So it's like like that team was different. So there's a lot of change that happened for McGregor during those 371 days. So I, I do think that that had a, a part to do with it. And it takes away from Poirier, who I feel like is it's a great win for him and his career. And I don't want to... Yeah, he's absolutely going to... And he should. So, But that's not going to be important if we're talking about Khabib McGregor. Like, who's going to care about that title Justin shot? Poirier does not have the name that Conor McGregor does. Conor McGregor is a draw. Whoever he gets in the ring with, people are going to be interested because he's a rebel. You know, you take on that persona and people want to see you fight. And that's still who Conor McGregor since 2015 for McGregor. And that is the second most behind Daniel Cormier. They want him in the ring fighting. And like you said, Dana White is a savvy SOB. And I'm sorry to say that, but you know, my feeling about the guy, until he pays his fighters properly, I will never have any, I, I have a tremendous respect for what he's done and how he's grown the UFC. Nobody can take that away from him. But again, I, I look out for the players and the guys doing this. And and I still say in 10, 15 years, Caleb, we talk so much about um, CTE and the NFL and head injuries. And I still say, what is more brutal? Two guys clock knocking heads with protective headgear on or a shin bone square to your head in the UFC, and I got to believe that is at least equally as damaging to your uh, cranium as as a, as two guys hitting their heads in the NFL. And I believe we're going to see a lot of fighters walking around like these old NFL players that didn't get compensated the way they should, or their medical expenses aren't being taken care of. I hope Dana White does the right thing. There's a foundation set up for these guys because I guarantee when we start seeing the effects of UFC fighting 20, 30 years down the road, it's going to be pretty ugly because there is no way these guys aren't fighting every fight with concussions. Easier, though, for him to get away with not doing something about it because the the individual nature of, you know, of the UFC, where it's like you have a team of people that are focused solely on just you. Not he's not he's not the governor. I, I agree with that, but I I, I don't. When, when you build up something like UFC, like UFC, which Dana White has before that happens, unions look very weak to you. Like, they're, like how many how many individual players are going to sign up for the same union? Is Conor McGregor going to support a union that is also looking out for the little guys who are not making as much money as him, who are not as big a name as him? Is he going to concede any of his earnings or any of his stature to that? So it, because of the selfishness of the sport, inherently in the sport you cannot unionize i think to to get anything considerable done on that front like the football like uh, the nfl teams could because you have a massive collection of players who are in the same boat there's so many ufc fighters that we don't even know about that are working their way up the mma ranks that's and that's that's the business of it that like you can't discredit dana white for the business of it it's terrible it's i think it's a crime against humanity in some ways that he doesn't take care of his fighters, the ones that are making him all this money. But we've seen that time and time again throughout human history, not just the sports world. I mean, talk about ex- exploitation on, on all levels. That's what Dana White's doing. And if people are going to continue to sign up to, to do it, number one, because there's a lot of people who are just 
all about MMA, who are all about this fighting style, this lifestyle. It's a lifestyle to them. And then there's also fans who are also just into combat sports, who want to watch gladiators fight in the ring. Fight Club and Brad Pitt and uh, I, I, for some reason and Edward Norton Jr. I think for years that that's where this whole UFC cats came from. Had a tremendous interest in the UFC and loved it. I said, "You want to be a UFC fighter? Here's what's going to happen: We're going to go out in the garage. I'm going to kick the crap out of you and throw twenty dollars on top of you. That's what it's like to be a UFC fighter. And enjoy. Maybe I'll bring in two girls to clap for you. That's what it's like." We have an issue with violence and liking violence in this country and maybe in the world. I don't know, if, but, but about everywhere else. But I think in this country, violence sells just like sex sells. Violence sells. You take the contact out of football. People hate football. Like if, if you put the same NFL players out there and said it's flag football, no one would want to watch it. We live for the big hit. We live for collisions. We live for even in the movies you watch, like the best movies are the action movies. We want to see people get. That's what I'm, I'm, this is what I'm saying. So I don't think you can ever. Would you have been no. You would have played college. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Am I a human? Am I a human? Yes. So I was talking to about me as well. Like we all have an issue. Like action movies and and violence is the best thing in movie outside of you know sex in movies. But that this is a part of just how we are. So I don't think you're ever gonna get rid of violence in sports as long as people are willing to sign up to do it, which people are. People are fighting for free. Like there's people that actually go out and fight for free. So this, I mean, it's not like something that we're ever going to get rid of the the fact that people may have lasting effects outside of it. And, and this is, you know, one of the things that bothers me about the whole concussion. It's not about um, necessarily the, the violence that happens. Like people are going to be okay with, with the violence. I mean, boxing, for instance, people, boxers die. There's boxers that, but it's still a sport and it, they still don't, they don't get the, they haven't gotten a, kind of money in the score. There's gotta be something mandated to make sure these people, the players that, I know I do. All right, I'm going to be done with that. I, I, I can't. I, I can't. You, you, I, I, people getting stuff. Oh, man. I'm, that's what Daniel White would say. But, no, I'm just kidding. That, that's, the, that's a joke. That's not a representation I, of my political I, I hope not. Because I was, but I'm just saying. It, you it's, as it's a player should understand. Fair is fair, but Daniel White is positioned. Without the players, they don't have no money. Yeah. So Dana White has just positioned himself as the supreme yes, yes. leader of this money-making business, and that's that's the way it works. That's just, he just happened to get to the top of the, the mountain. To and I'm entitled not to like him for doing that. Okay, absolutely good. He is. Take care of your guys. Pay them. 100%. Pay them. Do Conor McGregor's pay payout should not have been boxing. His biggest payout should not have been a boxing match. One hundred percent. That's ridiculous. A, a joke. A joke, like in Rocky, when Rocky fought Hulk Hogan. It's a joke, and that and and that was a farce, and it shouldn't happen. And did I watch? Yeah, I was there with everyone else watching. Caleb, we got to move on with, with the last minute. We got conference championship games. I mean, I don't know there's been, that there's been a more anticipated conference championship game than the one taking place at twelve o'clock today between the Green Bay Packers and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Tom Brady against Aaron Rodgers, 43 years old against 37 years old, which guarantees a 37-year-old at least playing in the, in the Super Bowl this year. Um, all I can say about this matchup, and even though the pandemic has tarnished the hell out of the season and everyone's been faced with the same, the same trials and tribulations, but can you say, you know, no, let's peel back the layers of the onion, man. How do you not give Tom Brady a ridiculous 
ridiculous amount of credit this year. He goes to it that, oh, come on, you're going to say it's just the Tampa Bay team. They surrounded him with the team to get this done. Yes, to a degree, but he still has to go out there and play. He played a full season again. He got through the entire season, every game, and he has taken this team to the NFC Championship game at 43 years old. Now, Caleb, you know we're close to that age. I passed it a few years ago. Um, 43 years old in the not-for-long league, is an incredible accomplishment all by itself, even if you are just a place kicker, Caleb. This guy isn't a place kicker. He is a quarterback that has played in more Super Bowls and won more Super Bowls than any player in NFL history. He goes to another team in his 43rd year of life and has now taken this team to the brink of the Super Bowl. How are you not going to give this guy complete and utter credit for doing this? Well, James Winston threw for... 50 touchdowns last year with this Tampa Bay Buccaneers team. Um, he threw 55, actually. I don't know. I don't, yeah, probably 53. Okay. But, yeah, so he um, – this team was already good, and this is part of the reason that Tom Brady went to the Buccaneers. This team was one piece away. Now, I'm not going to take anything away from what he's done. He's, you know, 50 years old, it seems like. But he's been in the league forever. So the fact that he's – is playing is just a as something to give him credit for it himself. I'm not going to just fully give him credit for what the Buccaneers are. I think he got in the way at times this season of what the Buccaneers could be. Um, I think there's there was issues around him being there that point in the season. I think a couple games in where Mike Evans, their best receiver, didn't have a touchdown, and I mean that that was a problem. But I think you build a team around a guy and you say like, let's go get it done. So you go, you have Mike Evans, you have Godwin on your roster, you pull Gronkowski out of retirement, you go get Antonio Brown, you bring in Leonard Fournette uh, as a as a running back to an already ba- to back an already good Jones, who's who's one of the best running backs in my opinion, most underrated, underused running backs that we have in the NFL. And you say, oh, and by the way, you give him one of the, the the best defenses in the NFL, and you say, yeah, come here here to win a championship. So he did what he was supposed to do. I'm not going to claim it to be some supernatural feat that just adds to the lore that is Tom Brady. No, it's not that. It's a team that should be a good team who had a, 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 a quarterback that mismanaged the football last year who now has a quarterback that manages the football better. I'm not going to overhype this. I'm not going to, I'm not going to give Tom Brady, a, you know, a, a, an addition to his, he's, he's playing quarterback. He's playing well, fine, but the team is good. The team is, and the team is underperformed in my opinion, in situations where they should that they barely beat the Washington football team. The saints imploded to give them that one because the saints had that ball game late in the second half. They were up in the ball. I think it was 10 points in the fourth quarter and three turnovers. I think two turnovers in a row let the Buccaneers back to the game so I'm not gonna credit Tom Brady with the Buccaneers are solely oh he's a part of the puzzle yes but it's he's not, not the, about the reason the Bucs are a great team again he's 43 years old he lasted an entire season and he still played at a high level in two playoff games so far I saw you know we watched Hasselbeck come in Matt Hasselbeck after a good year in Seattle come in for Andrew Luck when he got hurt a few years back and he said after the game he goes oh my god his legs were like jello and it's one playoff game in the NFL Fell. This guy has gone through a whole season, and he's still. It's it's it is remarkable what he's doing. Back in the most standstill he has for his entire career. Tom Brady plays quarterback in the most 
Tom Brady doesn't sweat during a game. Like no, that's that's how comfortable Tom Brady has ever done what he's doing. And I give him credit for being 43 and making it through a season. I give him credit for that. I'm not taking the whip, but I'm not going to add this as oh Tom Brady changed the Buccaneers and made them into a Super Bowl contender overnight just because he came. That's not what this is. So I'm not going to overhype it. Oh, I completely agree. A guy like Jameis Winston who couldn't even get on the field over Taysom Hill with the Saints. He couldn't even play over to that guy threw for 50 plus touchdowns last season. That guy is Jameis Winston is, is one of the most turnover prone quarterbacks of all time. If, if not for him throwing 30 interceptions in the season, the Buccaneers would definitely be a playoff team last year. And that, that has nothing to do with Tom Brady being there. Let's not act, act like, first of all, he's won a Super Bowl and he's done it by himself. They've underperformed this season. If you're going by and his so own standards, I'm they've just underperformed. Saying that you can't plug it. No, I'm not. Well, maybe a little bit, but I'm not. What I'm saying is, I am. I am telling you that the teams that have won Super Bowls with quarterbacks purely based on defenses, like a Trent Dilfer, like a Brad Johnson, this is this guy is doing it. The, the defense of this Buccaneers team is not nearly as good as the Buccaneers team that won it with Brad Johnson. The, I went way better. I I is Rob Gronkowski a Hall of Fame tight end? Well, Rob Gronkowski being a Hall of Fame. But is he is he playing uh, is he playing Hall of Fame football right now? Late he's playing season, he was. Decent, he's playing late good season, tight end football. Late in the season, okay, he was. I, I, I can't one of, compared to the same Rob Gronkowski that played back in the days of the Patriots. It's not the it's same not the guy. Same guy. No, it's not so, the same so guy. And Tom Brady is neither. He's got a Hall of Fame tight end. Not in the prime of his. His career. Yeah, Tom he's Brady in the is twilight. But what I'm saying is, Tom no Brady's question. in the twilight of his career. He's playing well on a team. He's playing like he should be. At four. If you're going to pick Tom Brady, looks like he like can during play the season four more than Drew Brees looks like he can play at 42. That's for Drew sure. Drew Brees also cracked his ribs. Okay. Drew Brees also recovered from a a, a shoulder injury. We're, in the beginning we're, I, of his I, I feel like I'm like, a Tom Brady fan, and I'm not. I'm yeah, just, you are. That's what you sound like. This is Asia's best. It's finest. Of a guy that, like you said, that, that is able to do it at that level, I think. It is amazing to me the NFL is. It is amazing to me that this guy did it. And again, looking back to his early 30s at 32 years old, Caleb, this guy had completely complete knee reconstructive surgery. And no, here, wait, wait, wait. Let me finish this point. You know damn well when you have a surgery like that, there are a lot of players that never mentally come back from it because they know what it takes to come back from it and they don't want to get hurt again. To get it out of your mind and keep playing into your 40s after that more about the guy because i'm not a huge fan i am just an admirer of what he's been able to accomplish in his lifetime and i am i'm not only that he married a supermodel wife too so this guy has done it all but this and i'm not so this is tom brady's uh legacy on display because it's he's in this moment it has nothing to do with the season i i get everybody's like fascination with him the age how all of that but the 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 nuts and bolts of the season are he's on a great team playing good football when i'm bringing you your advil at 43 years old just because of what you did in college you're gonna be like man how the hell is brady doing this trust me on that I'm just saying, Tom Brady's knee has little to do with his game. Like his his recovery, he doesn't move. All right, let's just, move on to the most sense. Let's move on to the fact that Aaron Rodgers is going to send him packing anyway this afternoon. So it's, it's not, probably not going to matter. I, probably, I'm not going to deny <laughs> so that. Oh, Real quickly, be the worst. we got minutes left. The Chiefs. Now you go from the two oldest quarterbacks playing in the in the NFC Championship. 
simultaneously in the AFC Championship game. Patrick Mahomes at 20, Josh Allen at 24, excuse me, 25 for Mahomes, 24. Amazing job. And have you ever seen, I don't remember the last time I have seen a quarterback mature in one year like Josh Allen has from last. Now, granted, they were a playoff team last year, but he made a lot of mental mistakes at 23 that at 24 he has cleaned up. And this guy looks like the future of the NFL. I'm going to go out on a limb and say that this has not been a one-year transformation. I get how people will say that, and I understand that last year he made a lot of mistakes. This transformation of this this maturity happens over three or four years. And that's what we're seeing with Josh. He's had consistency over the last three years as far as, the, as far as, absolutely, absolutely. But I'm like, as far as his maturity in the system, he's, he's now been in the same system for three years. And this is why I say when, when in college, even when a, a freshman comes in and doesn't succeed, give him time, like give people time. When a rookie comes in, like people are quick to jump ship on Tua Tagovailoa right now because he didn't have an outstanding rookie season. Sometimes you need time to grasp the system, to be comfortable with it, and to make the right decision. Josh Allen is a product of being patient and building a franchise the right way. Josh Allen came in as a high draft pick. Granted, they they had patience with him and took their time with him, but. Uh, they did what they had to do to make sure that he could play. Like it was, it was a, a process of maturity. And like you said, adding Stefan Diggs definitely plays a part in it. But there's, there's no reason to say that this was an overnight transformation. Josh Allen has been a, a, a work, a, a work in progress for the last three years. And then they add Stefan Diggs, so that just makes them automatically an elite team. That, that's what happens with Josh Allen. He's playing well right now. Okay. Real quick, we're done. We're done with this. Let's go to the pick segments as we lost one of our computers. But uh, real quickly, I'll make it simple. I'm I'm going to give up the three points. I'm going to take the Kansas City Chiefs. I think Patrick Mahomes uh, might not be one 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 hundred and ten percent, but at eighty percent, I think he's good enough to beat the Bills um, in Kansas City. And I still think the Chiefs are the best team in the NFL. So I'll take them giving up three. Spencer, go ahead while I hand this over to Caleb. What's your pick? Uh, I'll take the uh, Green Bay Packers. I just feel like they're uh, destined for greatness. So I'm going to go because I, I want to go with Green Bay, too. That's who I'm picking to win it all, obviously. Um, but because I want to make this interesting, um, I want to make sure that somebody's going to win and not everybody's going to have the same pick. I'm going to go with the Bills against Brian. I'm going for the whole shebang here. I think the Bills pull off an upset and at least cover, but I think the Bills could win this game, honestly, with Mahomes not 100%. I think Josh Allen and that offense are good enough to get it done if they run the ball. Just run the ball, please. All right, the Bills, we'll see. I think I'm, I think I'm right, and the Chiefs are still going to win the Super Bowl. Hey, we're out of time. This is out of line. I'm Brian Feldman for Caleb Herring, for Spencer, uh, the Wiz Ostrowski, and, of course, uh, DeMond Cotton back in studio. We appreciate all of you. The, the games are starting today. Out of the Golden Knights play at 1 o'clock today. Check that against Arizona. And I'm also coming up right now, Pritch and Clay up next uh, with the Sunday football special. We're back next week, same time, right here. Check out Kickers Gaming and Sports Bar. We'll see you.